Fantasy football is back, and you don't want your team to suck. My favorite fantasy football punishment I've ever heard is the last place guy had to spend 24 hours in a waffle house, and every <laughs> waffle he ate was one hour off of his count. I want numbers. How many did he end up eating? 12 waffles in 12 hours. <laughs> I'm Danny Heifetz. I'm Danny Kelly. And I'm Craig Horlbeck. We host the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. To avoid eating 12 waffles in a waffle house, follow the Ringer Fantasy Football Show on Spotify. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game and they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about 5 o'clock, 5.30. Perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more. And enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by The Ringer, as well as The Ringer Podcast Network and FanDuel and FanDuel Sportsbooks. You might remember on Sunday, Sal and I did a podcast and we talked about the six uh, teams in the West Divisions that we thought could potentially make the playoffs. The Niners, the Cardinals, the Rams, the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Chiefs. Both of us thought three teams from each division would make the playoffs. So we said, well, what would the odds be to bet on actually six making it from the two West? We challenged FanDuel to come up with a prop and that's what happened. You can bet it on all day Wednesday. It's a boost from FanDuel plus 1,500. All 16, you have to have six teams, six out of the eight from the two Western divisions have to make the playoffs. 15 to one, go to FanDuel, FanDuel Sportsbook, obey all the disclaimers, everything else, and get it done. I don't know what else we could do for you. Coming up, Joe House and Big Waz. We're going to talk about this Ben Simmons soap opera, which we're calling Days of Our NBA Lives, which just keeps going and going. We're, I think this is week three. And uh, all the ramifications, what we would tell Ben Simmons if we were in charge of uh, giving him advice, as well as the most likely destination and just all the variations from that topic. And then Ben Lathan came out and we talked about the death of Michael K. Williams, Omar's relationship to the great TV characters of all time, uh, Kanye's new album, Little Saints, whole bunch of things. So we've got sports, got pop culture for you. It's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. <laughs> All right, we are taping this. It is mid-afternoon, Tuesday, 
Joe House is here. Big Waz is here. I was on Rosillo's podcast last Thursday, and both of you were delighted because we kind of went in on Ben Simmons. We did a whole layout, basically, for that this is the unsolvable situation of the guy who doesn't have leverage but seems like he does, the team that doesn't want to give him away, and the GM that never wants to lose a trade but has no trade, the fan base who's the worst possible fan base for this whole situation to happen, (laughs) who wants him out, and there's no coming back there. And then on top of it, this ticking clock with Embiid, where it's like you have one of the best seven, nine players, whatever list you want to make, he's on the list at his peak. And as we saw with Giannis last year, if you have one of those guys and they can catch fire for a couple of rounds, you actually have a chance to win the title. So they don't want to squander that either. And it's just this giant impasse all the way around. But the, the part that both of you seem to enjoy was the Ben Simmons seeming to think that he can call his shots on this one. Waz, I'll, I'll start with you. What, what is your favorite thing about this? It's so, there's so many, so many places to go here. My first favorite was the idea that Simmons, it was put out there that Simmons only wants to play for the quote unquote three California teams. <laughs> Which I was just like, that is so rich in so many ways in the sense that one, there's four California teams, but he's just like, I'm too good for Sacramento. Like, get that out of here. <laughs> On that <laughs> Uh, I, I just love that part of it. But it's like, and we haven't seen anybody do it yet, which I don't understand why. Um, the guy's four years left on his deal. Like, call his bluff. Like, what, are you just going to stick up the joint for four years straight? And what is that going to get you paid again in four years? Like, I don't understand why teams feel the need to capitulate. I think the thing with Philly that's important to know is one, they tried to trade him last year. So it's not like, it's been like, Ben, we love you. And all like, you already tried to trade this dude. And he understands that. And two, look, man, if if Ben, if Ben Simmons were as desirable as him and his camp, like to think that he is, I think those ridiculous offers that Daryl put out there around the draft would have netted something close to that. Obviously teams don't think he's worth all of that. Yeah. Um, And so that's why we're here. House. This is like a relationship where the husband was caught with a cocktail waitress, but the wife was caught with the tennis pro. (laughs) And now they're deciding how to proceed with the marriage that clearly can't keep going. And there's kids in the house and nobody kind of knows what to do. In this case, the tennis pro was Daryl trying to trade Ben Simmons for a solid month for James Harden. And then the, what was my other example? For, for cocktail adultery. waitress, the cocktail waitress in this case was Ben Simmons taking three shots in seven fourth quarters against Atlanta and shooting a playoff record 34% in the playoffs from the free throw line, which has never been top for anyone over 70 attempts. It's an impasse. What's your take? I do like very much you trying to come up with that, that kind of analogy, because this really truly is days of our NBA lives. Like we are in the middle of this fantastic <laughs> drama amidst all the entire sporting uh, landscape right now. Like, how could we possibly be talking about the NBA? We got the NFL in two days. College football, the first weekend was titsy. I loved it so much. I didn't lose as nearly as much money as I thought I was gonna. Congrats. Baseball, baseball's fine. The playoffs are around the corner. It's interesting to see some of these teams. But, like, there's a lot of stuff going on, and here we are talking about a dude who, who won't take shots in the fourth quarter of an NBA uh, uh, playoff series. I love it so much. It's so wonderful. 
To me, the thing that is so intriguing, the most intriguing thing is it feels like this is truly a referendum of the power of clutch. Ultimately, at the end of the day, Clutch's ability to to figure out a way to thread the needle here and the, the, the sway and persuasion they have across the league, it's really up to them to come up with a, a graceful exit for Simmons because they are doing their best, the entire Simmons team, to generate leverage where no leverage exists. The, to- the whole league knows it. The whole NBA fandom knows it. The court of public opinion is not on the side of Ben Simmons or, or Clutch, but Clutch is powerful. We keep hearing that, and I there's plenty of evidence out there. There is a story, I think, over the course of this season that somebody should write about does Clutch's power wane as LeBron James becomes less and less prominent in the league? But that's hmm. not, we're not at that crossroads right this second. But I do think it's an undercurrent of of the story here, because like if Clutch is able to come up with a solution to this that gets Daryl what he needs, that gets Simmons to a place that he'd like to be in and doesn't um, uh, adversely impact the Sixers, you know, fortunes in the East and, you know, helps other players along the way. I keep hearing like, you know, weird names. Oh, Cleveland might have an angle. Minnesota's my favorite, but well, they don't but, want to give look, away any of their assets. The Minnesota and Sacramento ones have that kind of logic of, of those um, uh, folks in those offices have history with Daryl. So you know yeah. that they're, they can have conversations and there's absolutely no reason whatsoever for the Sixers to do a goddamn thing before training camp, before the season starts. Which is the really best be- thing about this. Before the trade deadline. I mean, so, I think that they're well positioned to just chill for a bit. Here's what Barkley said on the Mike Massanelli show. He's talking about Clutch, Was, You know how that group works. They try to trade their players to where they want to. Anthony Davis, they had better deals from Boston, maybe even New York. They're like, no, he's going to play with LeBron or he's not going to play. They just bullied the league. A team got to stand up and say, I paid your guy. You can't bully me to trade him and meet and have me take some trash back. I'm hoping somebody in the Sixers organization got some stones. That's what <laughs> Barkley said. We have not seen a team dig in before. And the clutch thing, you know, they, there's a persecution complex with them. Look, Rousseau made this point. The, the most powerful agent is always the least popular agent. David Falk in the 90s was basically presented as the Antichrist and blamed for every bad thing that happened in the league in the 90s. Scott <laughs> Boris, same thing in baseball. Everybody hates Scott Boris. When you're the top agent and you're attached to the top guy and you're swinging elbows and getting clients what you want and doing all that stuff, you're going to take shit. I don't like some of the stuff they do. At the same time, this is a referendum on them, right? What how much power do they actually have? Because in this case, Philly has no trade. So yeah. how does this play out? What happens? Uh, and look, the, a lot of the stuff that Clutch has done in the past has been to project power. It's it's like if people think you're powerful, then you're powerful, right? Like they've done a very good job of marketing Clutch as very powerful, uh, very uh, strong-willed, et cetera, et cetera. But they've had leverage in a lot of those situations, right? You think about something like Tristan Thompson's ridiculous deal that he got from the Cavs. The leverage was our other client, LeBron James, is doing one plus ones with you every single year. 
you don't make this guy happy, he can actually leave next year. Yep. Right? Like that's actual, real, tangible leverage. Even in the AD situation that Chuck brings up, where Boston could put together a much superior package to what you know the Lakers ultimately ended up putting together. Uh, AD didn't have four years left on his deal. <laughs> okay, so it's like, all right, you I'll go over there and play for a year. And then I'm out, right? Like, there was actual leverage um, on the side of Clutch and their client. That's not the case here. It's just a guy who's unhappy with the situation. And the only thing that I will say is that the team clearly doesn't think the world of this dude. And like, that's just, that's just so obvious to me. But they have to present a public face that they do. This isn't New Orleans and Anthony Davis was like, obviously, we're going to be way worse for not having this guy here. Yeah. I don't think Philly actually feels like that about Ben Simmons. Um, And I personally don't feel like that about Ben Simmons. But in order to, you know, extract the maximum amount of value, they have to put on this public face that they do. And so that's the, you know, the delicate dance that's being played by Maury. It's like tough talk and, oh, we love Simmons. He's such a great player. But have that on on tough talk yet, though? Because that's the the one step that's that's missing. they, they haven't done it talk. with Simmons. They, yeah, done they it don't need Simmons, to. What, but they've what? done it with other teams, meaning yeah. like we're not going to just give the guy away. Right. Right. But they at some point, talk. why do they need to? No, this is where Doc Rivers comes in. Okay. Because Doc Rivers had tough talk right after the playoff series, right? Where he said, somebody asked him, can Ben be the starting point guard on a championship team? And he's no. like, I don't know. No. Yeah, but you <laughs> know what? That was brutal. <laughs> That <laughs> fucked up the Sixers' leverage. It like did. the thing in that moment, and that's part of the thing that, that makes the NBA so compelling. Like, he just was reacting. He was responding. The same was true of Joel. Both of them asked those questions, and, you know, God bless NBA journalism. Journalists doing journalism. And both those guys just gave candid answers in a raw moment, and it really fucked up the Sixers' leverage. I mean, to put them, you know, it was a, a 10% walk back now. The thing that Daryl has going for him is I believe time is on his side because let camps open. Let some of these super duper star players go see what it's like. You know, is 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 Dame really going to be satisfied when he gets there? Mm. They go through. Camp oh, that, come on, house. They got Larry they, Dance Jr. He's set. <laughs> <laughs> the advanced analytics love Larry Nance Jr. But like, love that they, guy. They go 10 games in. They go 15 games in. Let, and that that will be true of a handful of teams that we're not thinking of right now. We mm. So the, there's no urgency for Daryl unless he thinks that it's going to be such a distraction. And this will be a real interesting testament to the, it, the, the fortitude of the Sixers institution. Do they have discipline across that professional organization sufficient enough to push down the distraction. Hey, everybody, here, if we're going to get asked 10,000 times in these next three weeks, what's happening with Ben Simmons, here's the answer. And if they all stay on script, then it's not a distraction. It's not a distraction because we're all here, we're playing, these are our guys, and that's it. The wild card is shit like Tyrese Maxey. Now, where did that come from? Is it that, that really doesn't a seem thing? Like it, yeah, it didn't seem like Is that a was thing? a real thing. I, I ended up deciding not to buy Is that. Is it a thing? That's ridiculous. That's a ridi- just, that's just a ridiculous notion that some dude that you drafted in the 20s in his second year somehow matters in any way, shape. Or- <laughs> yeah, he's, he's never <laughs> done anything for you. Like, what are you I talking about? It. Tyrese Maxey is not a thing. He's not a guy. 
that um, matters at this point in his career. But what I will say to disagree with House a bit is that, look, Simmons and them coming out and saying we're not going to training camp, um, I get it. That's a smart move on their part. Like, yo, we no longer want to be here. There's no use in getting my guy hurt out there, you know, performing for a team that we're ultimately not going to be with long-term. Forget that. We're shutting everything down. Um, I think the problem for the Sixers arises in the fact that, sure, this locks you into a certain value of Ben Simmons, meaning since he's not going to play, he can't play any worse than he already did in the playoffs, thereby decreasing his perceived value to the rest of the NBA. However, there's no scenario in my mind, or it's a very small chance that this guy come back, comes back and plays and is better, thereby increasing his value. Like his value is basically locked. And teams can call your bluff in the sense that, all right, let's take this to the trade deadline where this guy's not playing. You're up against that clock. And then what? You don't play him the whole season and bring him back after the deadline and say, well, you're still in the contract. Start playing for us again. That can't be an option. Like that, like that's that that would seem insane to me. Like yeah, I'm not, not, I would never say that the timeline is indefinite, right? That there there's definitely a timeline here. It's just not the start of training camp or no, the start of season. That's all. Yeah. Was can I disagree with one thing? Sure. I think Ben Simmons can play worse in the playoffs. He, you said he hit, he hit rock bottom. No, 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 no. I'm no. I agree. With you. I just think he could take. <laughs> I agree with that. First of all, he could take zero, one, or two shots in the fourth quarter of a seven game series. He could also shoot worse than thirty four percent from the free throw of the playoffs. So there is room for him to grow. Um, wait, I want to keep talking about this house. I have some news for you, really quickly. Okay, this is from our friends at FanDuel. Sal and I talked on Sunday's pod. We were saying, why isn't there a prop on FanDuel on their sports book oh. for six playoff teams from the two Western divisions, AFC West, NFC West? Because we both thought there would be six playoff teams. We're like, why can't we bet this? Why can't our friends at FanDuel do this? Well, they did it. Can you guess what the odds are? Wait, wait, what? what? Six, we, Tell six me the playoff teams. Six okay. playoff teams from the two Western divisions. Has to be six. I love it. The odds are 15 to one and on FanDuel. I'm in. One I'm day. In. It's only Wednesday. It's the only day you can bet it. That's to, my to, risk Some free. Tuesday and some That's, Wednesday. I, never, I still haven't used my risks free up to $1,000. I'll put 1000 on that one. You kidding me? Yeah. All right. So go to FanDuel Sportsbook. Special BS podcast boost. AFC, NFC West. Make the playoffs plus 1500 All the rules apply. Go to uh, FanDuel. And uh, and for all the guidelines, details, disclaimers, et cetera, et cetera. All right. Back to uh, our guy, Ben Simmons. Waz, Ben Simmons calls you. He says, hey, Waz, it's Ben Simmons. Not Bill Simmons' cool 13-year-old son, the other right. Ben Simmons, the one who shot 34% in the playoffs. Um, I need help. I need a makeover. I, I don't like where this went for me. I don't like the place I inhabit in the NBA, in the NBA circles and NBA talking circles right now compared to what my actual talent is. I'm, I am one of the top 20 talents in the league. I'm one of the best two or three defensive players in the league. If the right team was built around me, I could be a devastating point forward athlete slash, you know, Scotty Pippen 2.0. Like there's a world where I'm a really meaningful player. And now people just think I'm this guy who's afraid to shoot, who's you know, taking the bitchy way out, not showing up for training camp. 
what should I do, Waz? This is Ben Simmons asking you. Wait, help me. Help me. Help you help me. I think the first thing you got to get out of your mind is this idea that you're going to go to some glamour market um, and you're going to call your shot. Like, get that out of your mind. If you really want to rehabilitate your image, get your own team. Let them send you to some NBA backwater or some team that doesn't matter and make them make you the focal point of what they do going forward because you've absolutely never had that in Philadelphia. So if you want to prove to people that you're the type of guy that was being compared to LeBron's and, you know, the, the generational talents that came before you, you need to go to your own team and sort of run your own show. Because I remember the season that the Warriors first got Kevin Durant, the Sixers beat the Golden State Warriors in a game where Ben Simmons was just like, out of his mind in the sense that he's switching on everybody. He's grabbing mm. every single rebound. He's pushing it down the defense's throat on the break. Like, I'm like, oh my, this is the guy. This is, this is the dude conceptually who everybody has been telling me this kid is, but he's never really had that opportunity to sort of show that on a consistent basis. And I know we've said this over and over again, your best player, Joel Embiid is most optimal used near the basket and so is Ben Simmons those two things are incongruent so like this stuff was never going to work out with these two guys um they were never going to be the best version of themselves playing with each other I don't believe and I don't think Joe believes that I don't think Maury believes that I don't think anybody who has eyes believes that so if I was talking to Ben Simmons I'd be like get the idea that you're going to the Clippers or Lakers or Warriors let them trade you to a team where you're going to get to be, do whatever the hell you want, whenever you want, so that you can show people that you are this special talent. Because I got news for you. On a team that mattered with a lot of talent on it, last year in the playoffs, you did not show yourself to be that. So we're thinking how Sacramento, Oklahoma City, um, San Antonio. San Antonio is a good one. Now, I I brought that up on Rosillo's pod last week because they could put together a three for one. They could throw in a bunch of picks. That's a team that you might not mind having their picks since they don't have a top 30 guy. Um, I wonder from a culture standpoint, if Popovich Presti is that, <laughs> would they want to deal with the Ben Simmons circus? The team I keep coming back to is Sacramento. And I mentioned on Rosillo's pod that I thought Halliburton and Heald was the trade that made the most sense to me as a basketball trade, as a trade that would actually help the Sixers. Sacramento's giving up stuff. Maybe there's a pick thrown in, maybe not. Sacramento allegedly won't give up Halliburton. I think they're posturing. Um, the easiest trade for Simmons, just for his future and his upside, would be if it was Simmons for Fox. Because then Simmons could come in as lead ball handler guy. Halliburton, we already know, can play off point guards. Mitchell could be that kind of third guard, defensive stopper, Really nice. Uh, that actually devastating would be, defense. Yeah. That so that would be a nice that's one. That's two guys. Then the other one I was thinking, and I don't think Oklahoma City would do this, but if it was SGA for Simmons in some form, maybe Philly has to throw more from that. And you just basically give Simmons a team of young guys. And you're like, you know what? Go get your reps. Go get your reps on a couple 20 and 62 seasons where you're just doing everything for a team. I don't see the path of Minnesota. They don't have anything I would want other than Towns. And Edwards isn't helping Philly for what their timeline is. 
And then other than that, as, as we discussed, uh, on the Rosilla pod, like at some point there's just no trades. Everybody's out. Oh, no, just go through the teams, go through trade machine, go through each team. There's not a lot of trades. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay, that can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. This episode is brought to you by Burger King, which has the greatest commercial song I think I've ever heard. The ultimate hunger hack has arrived, my friends. BK's Royal Crispy Wraps Choose from four bold flavors, classic, spicy, honey mustard, and the new, drum roll please, fiery buffalo. Oh yeah, I'm getting that one. They're only, only just $2.99 each because at BK, have it your way, you roll. Try Royal Crispy Wraps at Burger King, $2.99 each. Price and participation vary, U.S. only. So Sacramento is the one that makes sense to me and, and house. The reason I bring this up once upon a time, going back to previous century, there's a player yeah. and a team who's I know. extremely talented. Yeah, I know exactly. Who kind of wore out his welcome in a certain well, city. Cir circumstances drove him there away. Was, there were circumstances. That's the polite way we'll put it. <laughs> they, were, they were not nice circumstances. They were And he needed a change of scenery. Yeah. And this team decided to trade him. And his upside that had never been realized, he had never won a playoff series. He looked great on paper, had a tendency to disappear in the clutch. And they said, we're getting this guy out. Send a new Sacramento for a guy named Mitch Richmond, who was Ugh. at the tail end of an all-NBA guard run. God. And that's how you <laughs> lost Chris Webber in Washington. Does this remind you of the Chris Webber? I know the circumstances are completely different, but does the Chris Webber shadow of this hang over the whole discussion for you at all. There is that that legacy connection. I mean, the circumstances could not be any different, although the idea of a player who finds himself through his own hand and the hand of fate, basketball fate, um, has no longer, like, you know, he's he's reached whatever the, the, the peak is with that organization. Sacramento as a as a as a place to go to, to mm. solve. Remember, Seaweb didn't want to go there. They didn't want right. to re-sign there. Was mad the whole time, and then they offered him an incredible amount of money and ended up signing an extension. But he was the whole time. We kind of went kicking and screaming. And they they were they did a good job. I mean, they built a team around him. It's not you know I know it's a different ownership uh, structure now, but they've been a, doing. A, we give Sacramento shit every single year because. A, they deserve it. B, it's <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and 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 C, you know, it's it's comfortable. But I honestly think that they um, have been doing some some good things over the last handful of years. Mm. Well, you think like was the the legacy of NBA history 
of giving away a guy at the wrong time, underestimating a guy's ceiling, uh, kind of the new GM coming in and panicking and making the classic three for one. Like there's all kinds of examples, right? You have the T-Mac getting traded from Orlando to Houston trade. That's probably your worst case scenario. You have the Barkley in Philly Mm -hmm. where they're just like, we got to get this guy out of there. We have the C-Web example in Sacramento. The difference for me with those guys, when we go through the, the history of the league in different decades is like, these were guys that could be the best guy in a championship team. Yes. Like the upside of them was like, this could be the A-list guy on a team that might make the finals. And I, did the three of us think Simmons could ever be the number one guy in a finals team? I don't know. You, you made this point with, no. with Priscilla, and this is the most important point. All those guys you just mentioned had accomplished something on their basketball resume before they went to that other situation. What would each of us say is the high watermark. What is the most, uh, six, the biggest basketball success that Ben Simmons has had in his entire playing career? There was like that end of that one season where Joel was out and it, it, he played well. Look, that look. I know, that's what we're saying. <laughs> the saying, end of that one season where Joel was out. That's what we're saying. Well, I can't even remember the year. <laughs> that's what we're saying. Season, I remember. Yeah. He played well. Look, I, look I, I've been off for the Simmons train and I've said this a lot. I've been off of it for a while, probably by his third year where it just didn't feel like he was getting better materially at the things that he wasn't good at, that he needed to be good at in order to be this elite type of guy, right? Like getting to the rack consistently, getting fouled, getting to the free throw line, making open 12-footers, you know, like, I don't know, little things that you assume people who are supposed to be superstar pedigree are supposed to have. And, you know, again, this this is what I keep coming back to. Um, One, the idea that this guy would come back at all just seems to be completely off the table for a myriad of reasons, but mainly... Joel Embiid comes out on Twitter yeah, trying to clean up the situation. And he basically says, not everybody's built like me. (laughs) (laughs) Not everybody can come out and take the hits, take the criticism. I get the criticism. I go back, I bust my ass and I come back even stronger. I'm a beast. Ah, Some people don't got that. And Bede, <laughs> and, and was like, Simmons. <laughs> and Bede was like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. If the wolf just then shot John Travolta and Sam Jackson, <laughs> I'm going to clean was, this up. Oh, I murdered everybody. <laughs> yeah, it was a cell phone too. You needed the criticism. That was the thing that spurred you to go get better, Joel. What about just go get better? What about that part? Well, oh. we haven't mentioned the S word yet with Ben Simmons. And it's a crucial point. And again, I'm regurgitating this from Russell and I the other day, but it has to be mentioned. When somebody looks scared in a playoff series, that's the S word. That's the S word. There's real fear with the other teams at that point, because that's, and you could be talking about quarterbacks. You could be talking about baseball closers. You'd be talking about a hockey goalie. You'd be talking about a golfer. Bryson DeChambeau house looking a little scared in some of these back nines lately. Like we talked about that the last time you came on. When somebody has that look, it's really hard to be like, this will be fine. <laughs> no, Here's- no, change of scenery will turn this around. C-Web is about as successful as anybody's been who also looked terrified in the last two minutes. But, you know, that was a really good Kings team. Was the scared word. I, what, I, what's I'm, your take on that? Look, as low as I've been on Simmons, I, I got to cut up some slack here in the one sense. 
he could he, like he could have justified all those decisions he made last year about not shooting. It's like it's Joel's team. Tobias Harris is making forty million a year. Like, is it really my job to do this kind of stuff on offense? Like, he could have made that excuse. That's why I think he needs to go to a situation where he is unquestionably the person that the team leans on, and so therefore he has to go out and do it. Like, he then has to do it. On Philly, mm. he doesn't really have to. Like, we can say that, like, well, it'd be a lot nicer if you did. Yeah. But ostensibly, uh, it's Joel's team. Joel is the guy who named himself the process, right? Joel is the guy in MVP conversations. Joel is is the guy. And so, the favorite son in the city. Too. He's the favorite son yeah, in the that's city. A tough All one. of that stuff. So he has that built-in excuse to be like, well, I passed him shots. I'm not even a shot taker on this team. So I'll, I'll cut him that slack. Like, he, it's never been something that he's had to do in his entire career. That's why I think he needs to go somewhere where they force him to. House, can I give you my advice for Ben Simmons and then pretend you pretend you're Ben Simmons? I'll do the best I can. Okay. I think he has to do some sort of interview in a really safe place, <laughs> like one of those like uninterrupted type where they can edit mm. it, just like an eight-minute interview that goes online. So you should go to the shop. The sh- <laughs> Yeah, the shop would be great. But he, we, he really needs to hit these two points. I don't know if the shop's the perfect venue. Mm. Like I said, maybe the Draymond's mm, yes, Draymond yes, yes. show. But although that's a little more long form. I don't want long form. I just want like two bites from him. Mm. I thought I was going to be in Philly my whole career. They tried to trade me. <laughs> it really fucked with my head. I'd never been in that situation before. I thought that place was my home. That's that's the team that drafted me. We came so close in the Kawhi series, and I thought Joel and I were going to win a title together. And then I find out they're on the finish line of a James Harden trade. They're willing to send me packing. I'm out. And then Harden at the last minute goes to Brooklyn. And now everybody's like, no, no, we still love you, Ben. And it really fucked with my head. And I mm. lost my confidence, and I didn't get it back. And sometimes when you're a professional athlete in the playoffs, when things start unraveling and you lose your confidence, yeah, I, I literally unraveled. And it all started with that trade and the way that was handled. So now I'm deflecting it two ways. I'm blaming the team in a really smart way that is kind of foolproof. And then I'm also tapping into the, you know, from a headspace standpoint, I just got knocked out of my headspace. So now it seems like I could be saved but once I'm back in the right headspace. Joe House says Ben Simmons. What do you think of that plan? Hi, <laughs> Bill Simmons. I, I really like what you're suggesting to me. I mean, I think Australian I really Ben Simmons accent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have an Australian accent. I can't do it. He needs one. I, I think I, he desperately needs one. I'm really committed to this bit. But the problem I have with it is he had a good season. A, not just a good season. He was top two for defensive player of the year. So if it fucked with his head, he sure had a funny way of showing oh, it. Now, I, have, I have a, hold on. I have a little asterisk point for this. Okay, let me this hear This is it. like minute five <laughs> of my interrupted video. Yeah. I actually played well after the trade because I was so angry. That, that, I like that. <laughs> but that's like not that. me. Now we're talking. That's not me. Yeah. What I realized was, and, yeah. and then he could, he could bring LeBron into it. would be like, you know, I watched this thing about LeBron. LeBron talked about 2011 Miami. He became a person that he wasn't. He just mm. played with anger. He was the wrestling villain. And then it all fell apart for him in the 2011 finals because he was trying to be somebody he wasn't. 
And that was me last year. I was trying to be somebody I wasn't. And I want to get back to the player that I am. And I want to get my confidence back and rebuild it. Uh, but this but, team really hurt nobody me when wants they tried that to trade me. Everybody wants the player that he was last season. They had the best record in the East. And he was right. a defensive player of the year candidate. That's the dude I want. I want here's, him. Here's the only problem with what Bill is suggesting. Oh, wait, here uh, comes Waz as third man in. The, the, yeah, the, the, <laughs> the problem with what you're suggesting, Bill, is that Ben Simmons is so hyper image conscious it feels mm. weird that he would ever come out and admit that somehow something he was a part of went wrong right um, we've seen it this season with this offseason with the sizzle reels like bro how like if you had even a scintilla of self-awareness you would not be putting out jump shot sizzle reels for the fourth off season in a row after shooting 34% from the free throw line in the playoffs. Like this is what you've done every single season. And the results that um, were born was this horrible playoff that you had. Like the idea that he's just business as usual um, after that freaking performance shows you like Ben Simmons doesn't think there's anything wrong with Ben Simmons. Right. So it should almost be the footage should be a security camera far away from a basketball hoop that shows him shooting a thousand free throws over the course of two hours. Yeah. Every <laughs> night. More impressed by that. Yeah, Every yeah, night. Yeah, his Instagram yeah. feed should be that from now <laughs> until he plays for a different team. There should be two to three hours of free throws every fucking night. That's he should absolutely have a, he right. He should have a tattoo that says 34% on his left arm <laughs> as he's as he's shooting free throws. He like, could do that. To me, that's like that's a, just a basketball <laughs> failure. You yeah. failed. We You're agree. The, it's the worst non-center free throw shooting thing anyone's ever done in the history of the league. Yeah. And you're supposed to be this incredible athlete. To me, that is just a lack of focus, lack of practice, and overconfidence. And look, and for him to not to even out, fix that is is kind of disgusting. And again, to go out and do that and have you and your team put out videos of you making jump shots at half speed against a bunch of dudes at the LA Fitness, like that just seems so wrongheaded to me. And again, yeah. God only knows, maybe he is do maybe he is doing this thousand free throws a day type of stuff, and he is putting in an in insane amount of work. I just find it hard to believe again that he could ever come back to Philadelphia and ever and like have the confidence. And basically be so right mentally that he's now making jump shots at a good clip. I, yo, it just seems. Well, absurd you, to me. <laughs> you know what else really hurts him? And this is why this is a segment on this pod right now, because I wanted to talk basketball. There's really no other basketball conversation that matters right no, now. Nothing. It's Every other team is kind of settled. Everyone's digested Westbrook on the Lakers and. I mean, you know, the Paul Millsap the signing was a big deal. Yeah, right. <laughs> Brooklyn's adding a bunch of vets. The Lakers are adding a bunch of 35-year-olds. But Hernan it's almost Gomez like, to the Celts. Well, oh, yeah, we got Wancho. Um, yeah, Wancho. It, the thing that would help him the most is some sort of something that would take everybody's mind off. What'd you call House Days of Our Lives? Simmons yeah, of our, days life. of days our of NBA our, lives. That's right. Days of our NBA lives. Um, he needs some other storyline, but there is none. So now we're in just week give it three, three weeks. Ben just give Simmons it three talk. weeks. That's the what. That's what you know. That's why Daryl has you know some opportunity, an opportunity window here. There will be those stories. Training camp's gonna open. I hate to say it, guys are gonna get hurt. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's gonna be opportunities that we can't imagine right now. Um, it is the domino that will set in motion a whole bunch of other dominoes. So it's very exciting to see what what happens. With, with Simmons, but you know, 
I, I think the right play is what Daryl's doing, which is just let's just see how, how things shake out over the next month to six weeks. All right, before we go, it's prediction time, guys. So it's September 7th, midday. Where is Ben Simmons on February 15th? Was? Probably Sacramento. They they're gonna they can put together competent NBA people plus fairly young people plus picks. They can put that together in a package to get Ben Simmons if they want to. Um, and I think ultimately Philly's gonna realize that the Brad Deal thing isn't happening. And neither is the Dame Lillard, which is all they're waiting for. They're just waiting for Dame to want them, right? Because I think if Dame really, really wanted to be in Philadelphia, this thing would have happened already. You know, um, I think they're just waiting on Dame Lillard to not like what's happening in Portland before the trade deadline and hope that that happens. Uh, It's, you know, it's a staring contest between them and the Dame. But I don't think because... I just don't think it's in Dame to like sort of do a blow up situation. He's been so diligent about crafting his public image that I don't think it's in his plan for how he's crafted his image to blow up the entire thing in Portland, like on some diva stuff. Like I Pussy, think he, wants he to just do got married too. Exactly. When, yeah. when you're when you're planning a wedding, you're not you're not focused on trade requests. It's, <laughs> you're dealing with people at the last second wanting two extra seats. Yeah, right. Who's right. sitting it's, where? You're, you're, exactly. You're that. Plus, he was getting the you know the rider right for Snoop Dogg and Common. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, but I think the Dame thing is what they've been waiting for, and I don't think it's going to happen. So ultimately, they're going to have to do an alternative because Simmons can't come back. Get well, I, wonder, like, I don't care what Amari says. He can't come back to this damn team. I'm with you on Sacramento. That's also my pick. I wonder if they can somehow get Fox for Simmons. And even if that involves them throwing in more stuff, House, does that make it more likely that they still have... I feel like they would have a better chance at Dame in a couple months. And maybe De'Aaron Fox at that point becomes the this generation's Terrell Brandon, where he's always the point guard of these other point guard trades, just getting the, moved around. It's like, wait, yeah, right, I'm right. on another team. What just happened? The uh, fulcrum asset. That's right. Do you agree with Sacramento as the, as the, I uh, do. Favorite? I, 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 if I had to come up with, you know, a, a dark horse, it would be San Antonio. Cause I just think that like, they believe that they can rehabilitate anybody. They have the, uh, you know, the gravitas, the organizational heft, They'll teach his ass how to shoot free throws. Yeah. The, the community will warm to him. Um, if they just do, if he does just a little bit, you know, he bends over this a little bit to genuflect to the community, they will love him. So that would be my dark horse to say. By the way, that's the most fun destination because San Antonio now is just, I could care less about ever watching them. But if Simmons was on there, I would actually be kind of interested. And it's not like Philly would lose any luster. I'm with you. I think if you're San Antonio, you have no no path at having a top 40 guy right now. You're just patching together a bunch of assets that people kind of like, but you know, ultimately, how how are we getting... So either you have to throw away this next season and really try to get a top three draft pick, whatever, or you take a fire on Simmons. Was you down with that? San Antonio, Popovich, and Ben Simmons? Yeah, conceptually. I, I think I, I like it as an idea that Simmons would go to San Antonio and they would be the smartest about crafting a plan for him. And, you know, 
Pop doesn't really care about threes anyway. So, you know, if anybody's going to figure out how to make this guy work, yeah. it's going to be Popovich because, you know, he, he he freaking traded Kawhi Leonard to get DeMar DeRozan in there, right? Like, like and he because he wanted DeMar DeRozan. So these are the types of people that Pop likes. So I think San Antonio would be a great landing spot for him because they'd be the smartest about making it work for him. Little Keldon Johnson. De- DeJounte Murray, some picks, Lonnie some other bodies. The fourth. I don't know if Lonnie's in that trade. I think all Philly's right. like, no, no, we're good with Lonnie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, we'll see how it goes. This is the only NBA story, ha- uh, story happening right now. Wazen Days. House, yeah. a pleasure. As always, good to see you guys. Thank you. Of course, anytime. Thanks, fellas. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh, my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford, or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. All right, my guy, uh, Van Lathan is here. We're coming off our Pulitzer Prize winning uh, Rewatchables podcast about hardball. I don't know. They, did you hear yet? We won. We won the Pulitzer. We delivered. I didn't know they had Pulitzers for podcasts, but we won. Um, we, we brought G-Baby back to life 20 years later. We started the debate again. People were uh, were excited about it. So uh, Vans popped on to Rewatchables a bunch of times. Yeah, they didn't have Pulitzers before that podcast. And after they heard it, they were like, we ought to hurry up and invent a category. By the way, we also started a trend. Have you seen this on the internet? You haven't seen it, have you? What is it? We started a trend of guys telling their wives to watch Hardball. <laughs> and then taping them... <laughs> As they realize that G-Baby is dead. Shut up. This is a thing? It's been about four or five videos. I've retweeted them. Listen, if you're listening, do this to your wife, your significant other. The ladies get in on it, too. If you've seen it, they haven't seen it, watch the movie and then tape them as G-Baby's death reveal happens. It is high-quality internet content. So I said on the rewatchables, my wife who is a 10 out of 10 for breaking down during moments like that during a movie or a TV show. <laughs> I had seen it in the theater and I, and I wanted her to basically pay-per-view it. I wanted her to break down when G baby died. And as I'm renting it, she's like, nobody dies in this movie. Right. And I'm like, no, no. She's like, none of the little kids die. You swear to God. And I'm like, no, no, we're fine. We're fine. I, I did swear to God, but I was like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. And I yeah. had my fingers crossed. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and she got so mad. She actually assaulted me. As she, as G Baby was dying, she was in tears and punching me. You you want to hear uh, something that one of my friends was so devious that he came up with? What is it? Okay, so he came up with a way to swear to God 
and not blaspheme. Mm. There was a guard that played back in the day. I can't remember the squad he played for. Was it Providence? Was it played in the, uh, on the East Coast? Remember God, Sham God? Yeah. And so, oh, when my so when a girl or anyone would be like, uh, yo, uh, you swear to God you weren't talking to some other chick, he'd be like, I swear to God. And then he'd go, he'd look at me and he'd be like, Sham God. <laughs> so he would swear on God. That's Sham really God. smart. Yeah. So he, they would think, because he his name was he, he changed his name to God Sham God. I remember this guy came up with the Sham God, the uh the basketball mm. move. But he would he would swear on God Sham God. So if you guys out there and you want to be scumbags or lie for any reason, you don't want to swear on God, swear on God Sham God, swear on a point guard that played the Atlantic 10 or the Big East or something like that. I've never crossed the swear to God thing. I think she said you swear. And when somebody mm-hmm. says you swear, I feel like there's loopholes because the answer is like, <laughs> yeah, I swear. Like, yeah. no, I literally swear. Like, right. there's no way to prove that. I don't swear. Anyway, yeah. Hardball 20th uh, anniversary. So check out that podcast. Um, there's a bunch of reasons you're on today. First of all, it's been a while. But uh, our guy, Michael K, died. We want to talk about him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Omar on The Wire. He was a great character actor, Michael K. Williams. And uh, looked like he... OD'd in New York yesterday, so people were upset about um, how he died, but also that he died. And I think he was such an indelible guy. And I, I really think, like, the Omar character, which you did the Wire podcast with Jamel for us, and you went through all the episodes, but I think the Omar character is one of the great characters of all time. I don't know what the final list is. To me, TV characters are, are like football players. Like, in basketball, we have our lists. We have countdowns. We have tiers. We have hierarchies we're going to see again with the 75 and with football it's a little more it's harder to do that so you just kind of like Lawrence Taylor he's one of the best Jerry Rice he's one of the best like we just kind of go there I think Omar's one of the best characters of all time so I'm going to start there what was your reaction uh well my reaction was of course of intense sadness um I had gotten to know him just a little bit you know uh in passing we we shoot each other a message every now and again and I remember I got a message from him last year and he was asking me to be a part of an initiative that he was uh, to help publicize an initiative that he was doing uh, in Brooklyn. So he was consist- consistently reaching back, consistently being a part um, of any community that he represented. And I think a lot of the the outpouring that you're seeing right now is that there was a quiet grace and dignity about him that came across through his portrayal, his portrayal of Omar. Came across in his portrayal of Omar, just a quiet grace and dignity about him and the truth. Omar was portrayed with a a weird, battering truth. The character uh, made no bones about who he was and what he was and took solace in that truth. You know, a man got to have a code. And I think the soul of that character, uh, it exists in the side of, of Michael. Uh, Michael uh, had things in his life that he was trying to get control of, obviously. He had been a lot of places and seen a lot of things, but he was always very forthright about those things. And he always comported himself with a dignity um, that let you know that he had nothing to hide and that that's the best artist. The best artists come to you with a full, open heart and open mind and give you their art, uh, you know, and don't make any bones about it. And that's what he did. And so when you when you look at, you know, somebody like that and you lose someone, obviously 
But losing a, it hurts, should I say, but losing a genuine soul like that, a genuine soul, a genuine soul like that cuts everybody deeply, very deeply. I interviewed him twice. I interviewed him for my HBO show and I interviewed him for a podcast a few years ago. And one of the things I appreciated about him was he knew for a lot of people, he was just Omar, right? Sure. But he was also a really good actor who'd been a lot of stuff. And it all balanced out in his head, it seemed like, where he was fine talking about Omar, he was fine talking about The Wire, but he also knew he was more than that. But he had the ability to not, you know, sometimes with people when they have like that one iconic role like that, you could you could feel the wear and tear with them when it comes up. And like, oh God, I gotta, I gotta do the Omar thing again. I'm more than Omar, don't you understand? He knew he was more than that. He knew he had done a lot of good stuff and he had taken a lot of swings. But he also really liked talking about The Wire and, and Omar and what that character meant. And he understood. I think part of the reason was because that show had such a slow burn where it was a little, I don't want to say it was underground, but it wasn't like a widely watched show, at least for the first few years. And the audience built and with the re-airs and the, stu- and the reruns and people catching up and binge watching. By the time it got to season four, season five, the audience was bigger. Mm-hmm. And then when the streaming stuff came in the last 12 years, it became even easier to catch up on it. And now I just feel like the audience for that show is so much bigger than it was. Mm-hmm. So I think he appreciated that too, because I think they felt like they were on this show that year to year, they didn't know if it was going to get canceled. They'd never knew if the audience was really going to be there. The critics loved it, but they weren't really sure how big it was ever going to get. And then belatedly it got big. And I think when that happens, it enriches your perspective on, oh yeah, we really, we really did it. But fundamentally, one of the great characters of of all time. And one of the reasons is what you mentioned, the code. Mm-hmm. I love in shows when a really complicated character who's totally capable of doing bad things also obeys some sort of code. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there will be characters where when they go outside the parameters of however they live their life, you, you almost like can't get it back with them. Like this is a dumb example because it was the OC and the OC wasn't as meaningful of a show as The Wire, but that OC, the dad was like the heart and soul of the show. Mm-hmm. And then there was some season he had an affair with somebody or, right. you know, it was going to be an affair. And it, I was just like, I'm out. The dad would never do this. You spent years building up what a fucking awesome guy this was. And I'm out. This He mm-hmm. abandoned his code. Now the show has no moral center. And I feel like the show, not that it was a great show, but it kind of, it just was never the same for me after that. And Omar was always about, he had these rules that he lived by. Um, the people that paid in his mind were always the ones that deserved it. He never took advantage of people who shouldn't have been taken advantage of. And just the way that was sketched out, it's such a memorable character. There's never been anything like it. What am I missing? You're missing nothing. Uh, so I'm going to bring up something that's a little bit that, you know, shout out to all of my nerds out there. I'm going to bring up something that we got, got all pissed about because I'm just going to pretend like in no way did the OC come up in a conversation where we're talking about the wire. I'm just going to pretend like that. So, 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 <laughs> so, so, so just, just, you know, um, I'm giving you the full gamut of, of characters. <laughs> that, that's losing moral center. I remember that. Like, I remember it was the OC. There was an Orange County movie. There was an Orange County show. I was like, what's going on here? People are obsessed with Orange County. You know, it's where they yeah. don't wear masks. That's kind of the deal. Um, but, uh, and this was something that really literally set the internet on fire. Luke Skywalker. Okay, so you spent three movies uh, when you were a kid learning about Luke Skywalker and how, Luke Skywalker and how much he loved his friends, how much he loved his friends. What do we know about Luke Skywalker and Han Solo 
and and Leia. What we know about them is that they're going to do whatever they can for each other, right? Whatever happens, they're going to be there. Hey, man, we got to turn around. I can feel Luke. He's back there. Go rescue him from Cloud City. Got to go get Luke. Hey, Luke, I, you got to finish your training. Nope, my friends need me. I'm flying across the galaxy. Luke Skywalker. Ryan Johnson made a movie that I liked. Uh, Mallory loves it. But Ryan Johnson made a movie called The Last Jedi to where Ray comes up to Luke. The whole galaxy is on fire. The First Order is taking over uh, like everything. Leia needs Luke. Everybody's looking for Luke. Ray finds Luke. She comes up to Luke. She hands Luke the lightsaber. Luke takes the lightsaber, throws it over his shoulder into the water. He's done with it. Forget about my sister. Fuck her. Fuck all the First Order. Fuck it all. And we're sitting in the theater as a bunch of grown 30-something nerds seething. We're looking at this like, there is no way that Skywalker would ever do this. And what do we do? We take to the internet and actually go way too far. Yep. We, the, the fandom moves Disney. That's how much we believed in the character and the code that Skywalker had. With Omar, Omar is maybe the only character that I can remember in a show, and I'm, people are going to think of more, that, I, that never broke his code. Omar's code got him killed. Yep. Because the reality is that Omar had retired, moved away from the life, was down there. He was being Tropical Omar. By the way, uh, Tropical Omar was my favorite spinoff that nobody ever made. I could have watched three seasons of Tropical Omar. Tropical Omar, wherever he went, he already had the kids with him. And what happened? They killed Butchie. They killed Butchie. Omar got to come back. Yes. And one thing I want to make sure I, I say about Omar Little's character and about The Wire itself. The reason why The Wire was a slow burn is because the show was too truthful. You didn't have a big concept or a big gimmick. You didn't have, like, even with The Sopranos, one of my other favorite shows, hey, mobster who goes to uh, a psychiatrist and has family issues, we're putting two worlds together. The Sopranos is an, a genius title because you don't know if it's about his family or you don't know if it's about his family, right? There's no gimmick. The, the Wire has none of that. You have to get into it and let the characters wrap you up, right? Yep. That's challenging, and inside of that, Omar Little is the most challenging character that at that point in my life I ever had to watch. I was in my early 20s. I was not an evolved brain in terms of issues of sexuality, in terms of issues of how I viewed the police, of how I viewed all of these things. And Omar continuously challenged you. He made a whole generation of men who had a lot of hangups he became the hero of the show. He became the realest one of the show. He became the strongest one of the show. And he really took aim on the show and literally at a whole bunch of preconceived notions and stereotypes that a lot of brothers around my age hadn't fully come to terms with. Right. And they didn't cut any corners. You saw Omar loving on guys in the show. You saw Omar not just having illicit sex and going around, not illicit sex, going around and cruising and picking guys up. You saw him in real, loving, actual relationships with men, and it changed your perception of what you thought orientation and preference was. It, it, it just did. 
there's no way I can say enough about what an important character Omar Little was. And the fact that when everybody else in The Wire, everyone else uh, sort of, you know, went against their own morals and they 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 contradicted themselves, Omar never did. Omar well, never Avon, did. Avon's the only other one that I feel like stayed pretty close to who he was in season one by season five. He did. The only thing I would say about Avon is that in Avon's position, you can't really have a code because Avon your, is your code is green. Your code is green. Avon is a straight up capitalist. You know, Omar robbed drug dealers to 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 get his money too. But in, in a way, what he had to do was decide who was and who was not going to get hurt. Yeah. With with Avon, that's Omar's code. Basically, who is and who's not going to get hurt. With Avon, you just never know who's gonna have to get hurt. Like it doesn't, it doesn't really it's whoever's matter. in his way. It's whoever's in his way. You just never yeah. know who's gonna have to get hurt. But this show, this the show in and of itself was grounded by Michael K. Williams and his dignity and the dignity of that character. Omar's the hero of the show. Well, we talked on Hardball, we talked about G Baby and whether that was the most shocking death of the history of movies, which is bizarre to say of this you know, random Keanu Reeves movie from 2001 that certainly wasn't going to win an Oscar or anything. But mm -hmm. if you just talk about, oh my God, did they actually do that? G-Baby has to be discussed. Omar getting killed, the way he got killed, the way that scene was set up and who did it is among as shocked as I've ever been watching a television show. Mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't see it coming. It just seemed like after he jumped out of the building, I just felt like if anyone was going to make it to the end of the show, it was going to be him. And then the way it went and then the way the, all the callbacks when you rewatch the show and it's like, oh, it's all they had all the breadcrumbs leading to the liquor store. And I just missed it the first time I watched it. But the second time I watched it, like, oh, this is clearly this is how it's going to go down. And you just didn't see it the first time. But uh, shocking. Couldn't believe they killed the best character in the show. But that's what made the wire the wire. Yeah. Kids down there torturing a cat. Torturing a cat. He's a psychopath. Um, and had been hard his whole way like that. Well, like that. Oh, he walks past, he sees no more. I remember that scene leaked that week and it was going around. Um, and you know, I could never stop myself. I watched it mm. and I couldn't believe that they were actually going to do that. I didn't think that they were gonna do it. Then they did it. And even in death, Omar Little, the Titan of the show, the the guy that we had really kind of uh that we rode for, that we watched. Uh, they were able to contextualize his life after he died by the fact that the 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 coroner mixed up the toe tags. Very subtle punch in the gut. For as big as Omar was to mm. us, for as much as he meant to that show and that entire universe, his life didn't really amount to anything. He was another victim of the game. And even in in his death, they slapped you with truth in the wire. And a show like The Wire that deals in truth is always going to take a little longer to catch in because you're, you're looking at things that you don't really want to be looking at. It was such a well written character, and it's such a you know an iconic show. It's still on my Mount Rushmore. Yeah, you still need the actor. Yeah, of course. And I just never seen anything like him on a TV before. And you know, he was so identifiable with the long scar. There was something about his his face and his eyes and just the way he carried himself. Like when he was in any scene, your eyes gravitated to him, which is one of the hardest things. 
it was always weird to see him in other things. Like I remember he was in Boardwalk Empire. He was, he's in a, been in a bunch of movies mm -hmm. and your eyes always gravitated to him. And it's weird because he, I, at some point you're just going to be a character actor, but you can't also be a character actor that's overpowering everybody else in these scenes. And it was, I always thought it was weird that he never got discovered by one of these actors that does these big ensemble things like that he didn't have like a crucial part in Wolf of Wall Street, something like that. Right. You know, he was around, he he was in some good things, but that nobody kind of tapped into that. It was the kind of thing Tarantino would have seen when, you mm -hmm. know, Tarantino sometimes can just be like, this guy had a moment, I'm bringing it back. I'm, I'm running it back with this guy. This guy, when he's in there, this guy's a star. But he just, he never found that in a movie. So the TV show ended up being his legacy. But by the way, one thing about the code, it's so funny how this can shift. Like you mentioned Luke Skywalker. I said the dad from the OC. My wife, when Carrie Bradshaw <laughs> with Mr. Big, when Mr. Uh -huh. Big got married and then Carrie Bradshaw started the affair with him when she was dating the guy, Aiden. Uh -huh. And then the Mr. Big's wife fell down the stairs and all that. My wife was like, I'm out. I just don't like her anymore. I, if one of my friends did this, I wouldn't want to be friends with them anymore. Uh -huh. And now it was like she even though Carrie Bradshaw was a mess, that was kind of the point of the show. It did feel like some code had been slightly betrayed. And my wife never, my wife loves that show. And she was never totally the same with it. So it is, you know, these storytellers, especially now in the age of the internet, they have so much power and they also have so little room for error. Like Succession's coming up next month. Right. Yeah. They could completely fuck up that right now because I'm doing a rewatch right now. Mm-hmm. Those characters are are just perfect the way they're sketched out and the way they're acted. Each character, there's no, there's no like weak link character. There's no like, oh man, oh, they got to build the episode around this guy. Even, even uh, Connor, the oldest son, who's like ran for president in season two, like kind of the mm -hmm. pseudo black sheep. Mm -hmm. That might be a guy that doesn't work normally on a TV show, or it's like that the actor's wrong, or they just can't totally figure it out. But even when he's in carrying the thing, he's awesome. Mm -hmm. But they could fuck it up, you know? And all of a sudden, season three, it's just one wrong turn and you're never the same. Yeah. And I think that's what, with The Wire, one of the reasons I love that show so much and one of the reasons it's such a great rewatch is they, they the only fuck up they had was the season five, the newspaper thing. But I still defend season five. We could argue about that forever. Yeah, see, I still season, think it's totally watchable. I, people are too down on season five. The, the season five thing is like, you know, it... it it's kind of, it's a weird thing. The, the season five of The Wire, is it as good as the rest of The Wire? No. But go back and watch season five. It's fucking great. It's the great. The season finale is probably one of the yeah. three or four best it's, season finales ever yeah, in the history of television. It's great. And it has a, a completely, a, a, a incredibly engrossing story with Bubbles coming to terms with, uh, with his addiction in his past and what happened to um, you know, one of his one of his friends, the the little man that he had, a uh, charade. Yep. So it season five has more than enough for you to call it one of the outstanding seasons of television. It, like really, as far as you compare it to any other show. But if you compare it against season four of The Wire, which was a fucking masterpiece, or even season three, or even season two. Then you start to kind of look around and go, wow, you know, and people have problems with the serial killer stuff and all of that. But no, season five of The Wire is just fine. It's amazing television. When we rewatched it and um, Four Way Down in a Hole, both Jamel and me came to terms with the fact or, or had the realization that 
uh, people a lot of, talk a lot of shit about season five just because they need to have something to talk shit about. But season five is great. Um, coming back to Omar, I, I just remember so many different scenes with Michael K. Williams as Omar that show so many different parts of the character. So sometimes Omar would just fuck with you. Omar walks into uh, the uh, Proposition Joe's shop, right? And he knows he has to drop on Prop Joe. He's already taking the guy out and he's doing all of this. He's telling Prop Joe what he needs to needs him to do. And he gives Prop Joe a clock for him to fix. Right? And the whole time there's a certain, there's a comedic energy under there. Hmm. Like he's flexing a little bit. Omar can be a little arrogant too. He knows who he is, right? He knows that he's Omar Little. When he walks through the hood, gun or no gun, he knows that people are afraid of him and he knows that he's earned that respect. So Prop Joe, the biggest dealer on the east side, Omar's fucking with him a little bit. Then you have the scene where Omar has to identify Brandon's body. And he goes in there and I, I never, I've never seen an actor, had never seen an actor to that point, should I say, be able to vacillate from intense grief to insane rage just that quickly. Those same eyes that give you that burning, like destructive anger, just completely soften up. Like right as the camera is, is in his face and they give you tears. Yeah. So give you tears that are so vulnerable, gives you emotions that's so vulnerable that you don't see the scar anymore. Like he could, he could completely soften his face. He could completely soften his face, even though he's got that big scar that tells you that he's had a tough life. The guy was just putting in work. He was just doing his thing. And I'll be honest with you. Had James, uh, had, had, had Gandolfini had survived, he'd have had problems acting out of Tony, Tony Soprano. It's just not, sometimes you do a job and we see you that way. Now, this this is not the only great work that Michael K. Williams has, has done. And I think that part of remembering his life and his legacy is going to be people over the next couple of days and months pointing out and bringing attention to things that he was in outside of The Wire. Um, he's just had an amazing turn on, on Lovecraft, Lovecraft Country. I think he's currently nominated for, for an Emmy right now for that. So, you know, he's been doing great work. He never stopped doing great work. But sometimes the moment meets the man and it creates perfect work and that's what omar was there was a huge outpouring from the hollywood community yesterday yeah it really felt like a like an a-list actor had died and it made me think like there are these people that aren't a-list actors but they kind of feel a-list anyway because either they had the one great part or they just had some sort of moment that becomes eternal and i feel like omar was like mm -hmm. that and you know, the, with The Sopranos, same thing. You're seeing some of it with Gandolfini as the movie's coming and his son's in it. And I think one of the themes as they promote that movie is going to be just just how impactful Gandolfini was they, yeah. like, to the people around him. It was almost like an athlete. You know, they, like people talk about these athletes that they were on this athlete's team for two years and they have 17 stories about the guy. It really does seem like he was like that. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a difference between popularity and importance. You know, so yep. uh, an actor that everybody loves, an actor that everybody likes is one thing, but an actor that really made a difference, that had a role that really impacted you. That all those actors are dreaming for roles like that. They, 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 every one of them wants a role that where they're an Omar Little, a role that's that medium, that's ch that chunky, where they can actually get in and say, 
you know, that uh, that they did something outstanding that can't be recreated. So he was he he might have not been among the most popular uh, actors, but I think looking at him now, you can see how important he was to a lot of people and how important Omar Little was to a lot of people. Where does he rank on best HBO characters ever for you? Oh, man. Um, That's like a whole other podcast. It is best. I still feel like Tony Soprano doesn't get enough love as like an obvious number one, at least number one seed. Well, he is. To me, he has to be the number one seed. You know, so I rewatch The Sopranos all the time. I, I literally watch The Sopranos every day. The thing about Tony is that does anybody have any clue just how villainous and how much of an asshole Tony Soprano was by the end? Tony Soprano Gets went dark. from being a lovable guy in some, you know, morally compromising positions. By the end of that thing, he's fucking Darth Vader. He's he he killed Chris. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it, it by the by the end of that whole thing, he is just completely somebody different. So um Tony definitely is up there. I would have best characters, man. It's gonna be Tony, it's gonna be Omar. Um, you might have a couple other characters from the wire too. And then, you know, you're gonna have if you're not talking about just HBO, you know, you're gonna have um you're gonna have Breaking Bad in there too. Yeah. I, w- I was just a pure HBO since they've pure been HBO, yeah, forty years. OJ's first and ten character, I think, is up there. <laughs> Whatever that guy's name was, <laughs> I, I love that show. Uh, it was a good one. Yeah. Um, all right, we're gonna take a break, and then uh, we have some other pop culture stuff to discuss. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. So I got to live something as a parent over the last few weeks. It was interesting to watch my kid go, my kids go through it. The Will Kanye's album Drop or Not soap opera (laughs) that lasted for a couple months and my son stayed up until five in the morning one night thinking it was going to drop and it never did. And just the whole roller coaster ride of that. And then when it finally came out, it was like the kids had waited in the roller coaster line for three and a half hours. And there was just no way the roller coaster was going to live up to how long they waited in line. Right. It was kind of their takeaway. Ben loved a couple songs. 
So we didn't like it as much, but Ben, Ben's in on a couple songs, so he's fine. But I think at the same time, the foreplay made the expectations impossible. I know you talked about it on the Ringer Music Show, which was excellent, mm-hmm. by the way, but give a, just regurgitate your takes here for, for my audience. Man, shout out to Ben Simmons. Shout out to Ben. Ben Ben's out there. He's doing his thing. He's finding his way. Shout out to Ben Simmons. Man. He's your favorite um, Ben Simmons right now. Yeah, it's not even close. Me and Ben <laughs> was up there chilling. Ben was doing his thing. Ben was telling me about all the movements that he's making. Ben's ready for high school. Ben's, you know, he's got another year, but shout out to Ben Simmons. Man. We appreciate that, Ben. Yeah. Um. No, so it, it uh, we're in like the, so I'll give you a weird, totally disrespectful comparison. Like the Jake Paul fight. Okay. Mm. So we're in a Jake Paul fight era of art. And what I mean by that is we all wanted Jake Paul, the the Jake Paul fight with Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley to be something other than what it was going to be, which was going to be a letdown from the huge spectacle that preceded it. We wanted to go in there, see him get beat up or see him look unstoppable. We wanted some something to justify everything that led up to it. Okay. Yeah. But the problem in culture right now is the everything that leads up to these things is constant and the art is like sporadic. So we live in arrested development awaiting things. Like Shang-Chi just dropped. Now it's time to await Eternals. So the Eter- Eternals drop. Then it's going to be time to wait Spider-Man No Way Home. All right, so we are, we're always waiting for something and we're always being getting told how awesome it was, how awesome it's going to be. So when we sit down for it, there's just a letdown that's going to happen. Drake and Kanye both know that. Kanye knew it. Kanye continuously over and over and over again hyped up an album, hyped up something, and set the expectations for it so high that Jesus would have had to have been featured on the album himself for it to meet the expectations, all right? And not only was Jesus not on the album, he couldn't make it. He was referenced a few times. A couple of times, um, but it was just okay. And normally, if you say, hey, I'm giving art to you, and the art is just okay, then that's fine. But I think because the spectacle is, spectacle is never nourishing. Art is nourishing. Spectacle isn't, okay? Nobody's going to talk about being inspired by the last time, by, by the time that Eva Knievel jumped over the Grand Canyon. It was something that was cool to look at, but that's not going to inspire you in any way. It's a spectacle, and it's something that's worth watching because, you know, it, there's danger and there's all those things, but spectacle doesn't nourish you. The only thing that really nourishes you is the art. That's what inspires you, and it didn't deliver. There were three songs on there that I felt like were actually really beautiful songs. But other than that, the guy who used to be able to do inspiration and nourishment in his sleep, Kanye's throwaway songs on late registration. When you talk about joints like uh, Celebration and stuff like that, throwaway songs made you feel something. And now, doesn't seem like he has it anymore. What do you think the shelf life is for musicians? I feel like I've discussed this on pods before, but where where they can really be great. And I'm not just talking about rap and hip hop. I, I think just in general, because I always felt like it was about eight years. And mm. I think it's the same for directors too, unless they're transcendent. 
Scorsese, mm-hmm. obviously, it doesn't count. But for the most part, you look at directors and they had these eight-year runs where the films are kind of clustered into the, maybe it's eight, maybe it's 10, it's somewhere in there. And then for whatever reason, they, the, the landscape tilts for them. They don't see things quite the same way. With musicians, I don't care who it is. Once you get past that eight-year window, I think it's really hard to, not only to keep coming up with stuff to sing about, write about, talk about, but also your audience gets kind of burned out on the sound a little bit, you know, and, and they're kind of used to you in a lot of ways. It's tough to keep surprising them and challenging them. And that's why I'm so amazed by what Taylor Swift's been able to do, that she's in like year, I don't know, 15, something mm-hmm. like that. And it still feels like when she puts out new albums, her fans are like really delighted and, and you know, there, there's little gems in there. Oh, and she's reinventing care, herself over and over again. people care way less though now than they did about Taylor Swift four or five years ago. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's the nature yeah. of the beast. But when she put sure. out the two albums in the same year, I feel like that mattered though. That was a, it was a big thing, at least for the people that gave a crap about her. But so what do, what do you think the window is? What would you say it is? Uh, you say eight years, I say six or five. Um, and it depends on how often you drop. Like uh, Kendrick probably is still in his window, you know? Uh, good kid, well, Kendrick, but Kendrick might be an outlier because of just how he's constructed his life, you know, and how careful he is with everything. So he might be almost more of like, uh, I hate to compare anyone to Springsteen, but how Springsteen was able to just kind of prolong it for almost 30 years before it started to fade. Well, it, it what happens is the music starts to intersect with your lifestyle itself, right? So you have guys who've been around for a long time. And they don't give you as much as they think about how much we know about Kanye that has absolutely nothing to do with music, right? We know Kanye's political affiliations. We know Kanye's religious stuff. We know the ins and outs of Kanye's relationship. It almost gets to a point to where Kanye naming naming this album Donda actually reignited our interest in it because we hadn't heard him go deep into his relationship with his mother and what it meant for him to lose his mother. He had referenced it and talked about it a little bit. But if this was going to be a whole album that was sort of uh, about that, then it made people think that maybe you would get something that you hadn't gotten in a while, which he didn't do that on the album. Like, uh, it, it doesn't have very much to do with that, just to be quite blunt. It doesn't have very much to do with that. Um, so, yeah, it also depends on, like, what it is that you know about the artists themselves, um, how much you feel like they have left to say. Like, Jay-Z is an artist right now that still feels like he has a lot to say. He has a lot to get off his chest. He's doing a lot of new things and he doesn't talk to us about them very much. Think what you want about Jay-Z and some of his, you know, leans towards being a super, super capitalist. And a lot of people uh, have, right, right. A lot of people have problems with that, but he's still talking his shit, right? Um, Kendrick feels like we don't know what Kendrick thinks about a lot of these things. We don't know what Kendrick, how Kendrick feels about the pandemic. We don't know how Kendrick feels about uh, Joe Biden or all of the rest of the rappers. We don't know how he feels about that. We don't know how he feels. So when he so when he drops, we're going to be super interested in it. Um, so that has to do, that's a big part of this too. A big part of this is how much of these people are you getting? And the equation for putting out music has changed because like a guy like Drake, he wants to stay on top. So he feels like he can't stop being in your face. But what will happen is, after a while, you get on a on an album, and you just have less to say, you know. Um, well, the other piece with Kanye, 
you know, especially the first like seven years, there's an authenticity and an honesty to him and the way he weaved things about his life into his songs. Right. That was really unique to him. And I think once you go into that whole Kardashian whirlpool, how do you take that piece? How do you take that authenticity about your own life when you're in this whirlpool where with the whole point of the Kardashians is nobody knows what's authentic ever at any point. We don't know what to believe. We, is there, how real is their reality show? How real is this? How real is that? That's kind of like trying to solve a mystery every week if you're a big fan of them. Yeah. And I don't know how you write music about that. Right. You would think that Kanye marrying Kim Kardashian would make Kim Kardashian a West, but what it really did was make Kanye a Kardashian. And, uh, and you know, that's nothing new. That's uh, everyone's talked about that. The, the standing not great rule for with, a musician, not great for a musician. The standing rule, uh, with the Kardashians is believe nothing, but be entertained by everything. And so you cannot say that watching Kanye over the last four or five years, six years, whatever it was, however long it's been, hasn't been entertaining. It's been entertaining and compelling even when it's been really frustrating. And there's been some great musical moments in there. He made Life of Pablo while he was with Kim, and that was a fantastic record. That was a fantastic album. So uh, it's still there. Kanye still touches you on this album. Don't get me wrong. God, uh, Come to Life, Hurricane, No Child Left Behind. The, the guy who can kind of like twist your soul in knots and just make you connect with him, He's still in there, but a lot of other things too. Dude's got a couple of billion dollars that he's evaluated at, so just looks at the world different. Who's the best rapper alive right now? Oh, good question. Um, if we had the championship out, belt, who has it? I would throw out some names that maybe people wouldn't think of. Like, okay, so the biggest rapper out right now is Drake. He proved that again. Drake is the biggest rapper out. Nobody's close to Drake as far as who's the biggest rapper. Some people say, but the best rapper? I'd say some names people haven't heard. I'd say uh, Conway the Machine. I'd say Freddie Gibbs, you know. Freddie um, Gibbs, Indiana's own. Oh, Freddie Gibbs is a monster. And he's putting out inspired, real rap music that has to do with what's going on. Obviously, Lil Baby. Can I you tell know, you something about Freddie Gibbs? Royce the 5'9". What, like, what, what about Freddie Gibbs? You know, Fred, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't think that you'd be fucking with Freddie. You know Freddie? Freddie Gibbs may or may not have come to a Grantland party. <laughs> okay, what happened? What but happened? <laughs> Freddie Gibbs right now, Ben Simmons' favorite rapper. See? See what I'm talking about? Gibbs favorite, do his thing. Like, number one right now. Gibbs do his thing. Gibbs still got a lot to say. Um, and he's just one of those guys that, like, you know, just continues to get better. Vince Staples. That's a, that's a separate championship belt there's who has a championship belt and then there's the who is the best rapper right now championship yeah, belt right because like the intercontinental about, belt almost right no a best rapper is you know who's just making the best rap music right right, right now who's who's right. just at the peak of their powers right now but then who is like the biggest is drake it, yeah it's Drake. it's yeah it's, it's been drake like, for a while it's it's going to be drake until drake makes the decision that it will no longer be drake little baby has a chance to come up there and get drake there's some other artists that have a chance to come up there and get Drake, you know, um, that really move a lot of units. But Drake is just important to so many people that aren't that rapper typically doesn't become that important to. And by also, he's also 
a, a rapper and a pop star. So it's different in that way. Do you feel like there's an infrastructure now with all this stuff that almost mirrors high school where the athletes have become a piece of, you know, like Drake's the guy for a bunch of these dudes, right? Like LeBron, et cetera. And anytime there's an album coming out, they also have like all their buddies who are all these other famous people that are all like pushing whatever. And it's like this armada of celebrity that it just becomes a machine. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody would top Drake and the connections that he has at this point around him to help push the stuff he's doing. Does that make sense? It does. So when you watch it, I think I might have said this on the podcast before. So when you go, I want people to do something. When you go to a celebrity's Instagram, I want you to compare something. I always do this. A celebrity drops a song, puts the song on their Instagram. Instagram lines up the blue check mark celebrities first. Okay. So you can see what they think. Watch what they say. Oh, man, this is fire. Fire, fire. You still spitting. You still got it. Oh, girl, this is crazy. This music you got, you dropping shit. This is the best shit we ever heard before in your life. Oh, my God, we fuck with it so heavy. Blah, 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 blah. Wade through that. Okay. Then get to what the actual people who have nothing invested. Past the blue check marks. Go past the blue check marks. The unblue. The unblue. Go to what the people who actually don't have any vested interest in being friends with the celebrity, like what they say. What? Hey, man, I'm not going to lie, bro. This shit's a mid. I'm going to be real. You you waited all of this time to put this shit out. It's whack. You sound just like this. Listen to what they're talking about. Get through the people who are just trolling and then get through the people who are super fans and just look at the overall consensus. There's just a difference. And celebrity is such a currency now that nobody, once you're in the club, nobody wants to fall out of the club, right? Nobody wants to be out of it. So once you're in it and you got the blue check mark and you and, and they people dap you up when they see you and they're all of that, no one wants to be outside of Delilah, can't get in the club no more. So you're not going to get on this shit for them. And also, just to be real with you, those people are artists. So being that they're artists, they understand how sensitive people are about their art. That's why if you really want to know the temperature of something real, there's only a couple of people you can actually trust to give you what the actual temperature is or help you contextualize it. And then you just go to the average people that are doing it. If LeBron, like Drake could, if Drake dropped, and Drake's album wasn't whack, it, it wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't whack at all, at all. It wasn't whack. But if it was whack, you think LeBron James is going to say that? No. No. <laughs> like, he, like, Drake could have literally, he could have literally done, like, a Schoolhouse Rocks album and, like, put it out. And LeBron going to be there, like, I'm only a bill. Like, driving like driving down with his Maybach and shit like that. So it, it doesn't even matter. You know what the lane is right now for somebody who's great at this? A great, a great up-and-coming musician who doesn't want to be friends with any of these guys and calls it like it is. And then that sucks. You know, drops lyrics like making fun of like that Ben Simmons was afraid to shoot in the fourth quarter and stuff like that. It just, it's just dropping bobs left and right. I feel like yeah. that would work. Vince Staples is probably our best chance. Nah, Vince keeps a gangster, but at the same time, most of the people like that, they're too focused on their own art to care about anybody else's. So they're not mm. going to come out and just diss another rapper for no reason because it's a whole well, not, I'm not saying rappers. Behind. I'm saying yeah. cross cultures and cross, uh, you know, like 
instead of mentioning LeBron in a song as in some sort of positive thing, take a shot at the 2011 finals. <laughs> just, just, just like little grenades. <laughs> but, but like they like LeBron. No, I know. Like, yeah, I'm just yeah. saying it's a lane for somebody. Somebody can right. go wrestling heel and just be right. like that guy. Oh, we, we, we had a guy that went and said, fuck you to everybody. It didn't really act, end up working out for him. There was a guy who tried it. <laughs> Remember the guy? I'm not going to say his name, but he tried it. Right. We won't <laughs> even know? say his name. That's Turn how bad they didn't work out. Turn the state's evidence is what happened to the dude. <laughs> um, before you go, can you give us the Saints, the over-under is nine, nine wins. Mm -hmm. Some people are like, the team's going to suck. It's over. Other people are like, like myself, wait, Drew Brees was, was, couldn't throw a pass more than eight yards last year. Now they actually have a quarterback who can throw the ball. Um, and it's Sean Payton. The division's mm -hmm. not like unbelievable except for Tampa. Mm -hmm. um, NFC probably has the three NFC West teams, Tampa, the Packers, that's it. Why not the Saints? Why, why are we writing them off? They came within a play of making the Super Bowl last year. If their tight end doesn't get stripped, why are we writing this team off? We're writing them off because um, people are writing them off. I'm not writing them off. People are writing them off because it seems counterintuitive that you can lose one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and not take a gigantic step back. And also there were some ca salary cap casualties off the defense. We lost some pass rushing. We lost a couple of different guys. And then uh, the defense this year is going to be very solid, very solid, but we did lose a little production on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and then on top of that, you know, you have questions right now, as much as you know, we have we're having some unexpected standouts from the wide receiver core uh, this year in the preseason. Callaway, Callaway, of course. And then I just paid for him in my my keeper draft yesterday. It's a good pick. It's, good. Guy's it's like nineteen good bucks. Season. Guy's gonna have a good season. And um, you know, there's still the whole question with with uh, with Thomas and just how things are gonna go there and what things are gonna be like. And then you just never this know. Is James way too pessimistic. This this is so I, disappointing. I, I am not pessimistic. I say not the, the Saints are not going to win in nine games. I say the Saints are going to win 10 games. Oh, this is better. That's I what think, I think. I think I they're say, at least 10. I think the Saints are going to go 10 and 6. But if you're asking me... 10 and 7. Oh, ten, excuse me. 10 and 7. I think the Saints... But if you're asking me why people feel the way that they do, it's because of this. I'm telling you right now, and old takes exposed, everybody, get ready for it. Jameis Winston is going to have a Pro Bowl caliber oh, season wow. this year. Oh, my God. Jameis Winston is not going to be okay for the Saints. Jameis Winston is not going to be all right for the Saints. Jameis Winston is going to be good to great. Finger licking good? Is he going to lick his fingers like that good? Uh, he should never fucking do that again. <laughs> But he is going to be good to great for the Saints. I'm with you. I got him for two dollars in my keeper draft yesterday. I was delighted. I'm like, sure, yeah. I'll take Jameis Winston. He might throw for 5,200 yards again. Yeah, it's going to be gonna... on turf. Yeah, with a way better offensive coordinator. Mm -hmm. Why not? He's, he's not going to throw. So the touchdowns that he's going to throw for, he's going to throw for less touchdowns um, than he was when he was just throwing the ball all over everywhere. Yeah. in Tampa Bay. But he's going to make fewer mistakes. And overall, he's going to look like a much more competent QB. And we're going to figure out how to make Taysom Hill a real contributor in the offense, too. I think Sean Payton is looking forward to this that, challenge. That young kid, Taysom Hill, who's now 30? 
Yeah, he's like, yeah. So up dude, this young whippersnapper up a cover. Been around for nine years. Um, but I, I think he's looking forward to this. I think as long as as long as Sean Payton doesn't do what he does, which sometimes Sean Payton actually outcoaches himself, but uh, I think I think the Saints are going to be strong. I think they're going to be strong. I think in the next couple of years, if they can make a couple moves, I think they'll be really strong. My Sean Payton take. Okay. I don't think yeah. people realize how limited Drew Brees was. And it's almost like Sean Payton was in the Indy 500 with bad tires mm-hmm. and still like finishing in the top five. And only the other coaches kind of realized how limited Breeze was near the end. Yeah. And I think he's going to relish the chance to be like, look at all the stuff we can do now. Yeah. Look at yeah. that. Look at this. Watch this, this 50 yard uh, throw that my QB just made that we wouldn't have had last year. What, uh, we've had the Ringerverse pod for almost six months now. What's the biggest argument you've had on the Ringerverse pod? Oh, the biggest argument by far was me and Charles Holmes versus Mallory Rubin and Jomi Adeneron on which Spider-Man was best out of Tobey Maguire mm. and, and uh, Tom Holland. I'm actually, to be honest with you. Like it got, they got angry? Yeah. 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 I mean, like they, you got they, a, did you, were you upset? I don't like Mallory anymore. <laughs> <laughs> she does get very headstrong. I don't like Mallory. I don't like Jomi. They were way too good at this. Mallory is, I, I'll tell you what. So we lost, right? We lost because it was like a midnight court is what we do where we go back and forth when we, you know, yep. state our cases or whatever. We lost. I'll never lose to it again. Mallory came in there like fucking Clarence Darrow. She was so fucking prepared. And we prepared too. She's Charles, a maniac. Charles was amazing. I actually was the Smush Parker of that team. Like, Charles Kobe does into it. So, but right now, there's a little beef right now. A little beef. A little bring reverse beef. But we're having a lot of fun. The podcast is going fantastic. So what was the, what was the answer? What was the winning verdict? <sighs> they won. They won. They, they won. We lost. They, we let the people vote. I think they got something. It was like 72% them, 28% us. Damn. We got swacked. It was the first time I think I ever lost Midnight Court. I can't remember. Midnight Court is normally me against Charles, but... Mallory and Jomi jumped in. I still believe what I believe. It's just they argued a bit of case, but we'll never, I'll never, I'll never lose to Mallory again. Never. This, the podcast thing is so funny sometimes. We knew we wanted you on Ringerverse. Mm-hmm. We were trying to figure out who's going to be Van's partner. Van needs to be on this. Is it rotating co hosts? What's it going to look like? And then you did like one thing with Charles. And then you called me and you were like, it's Charles. That's the guy. I'm like, really? Yeah. It was that easy? You're like, no, it's the guy. Like you actually need luck with this stuff sometimes. You just sometimes you just have it with somebody right away, and there you go. He's just man, Charles. I read Charles's. If you haven't read Charles or, or haven't read Charles's piece on Drake on the Ringer dot com right now, go read it. It's fantastic. He is just all of our guys, but Charles is just fantastically talented. Uh, he has, you looked out. You have two good partners because you have Rachel on higher learning too. You get Rachel to spend is your fan. weeks with two fun people. And not, not just, but Jomi and Steve as well. Mm. We all, like, we're, like, bro, we're stealing from you, man. No. Like, the fact that we get to talk disagree. about this shit, like, the fact that we get to do this, like, we're, I'm, I'm waking up, people are saying, Van, what are you, what are you doing today? I'm like, I'm watching Marvel shit all day, preparing for work. What kind of shit did I fall into? But it's great. We're all, we're, we're, we're having a great time. It's a lot of fun. Well, we love having you on the rewatchables as well. It's great. So there you go. All right, Van Lathan, good to see you. Good luck with the Saints this year. Uh, Good luck. Also, I want to say one thing before I leave. For all of you out there who are fucking writing LSU off, 
Go fuck yourselves. We're we're gonna be okay. <laughs> I was in the Rose Bowl, top five worst experiences of my life. Mm. Uh, the UCLA fans. I hope one day we get a chance to play you guys again. Hopefully in Tiger Stadium. Hope you guys come on down. Great w- victory by UCLA. LSU will have a strong season this year. Tiger Nation, don't hang your heads. We'll be better than that. All right. Ben Lathan, thank you. All right, that's it for this podcast. It was produced by Kyle Creighton. Coming back on Thursday, the return of Million Dollar Picks. And you're going to have the ability to play with me or against me in Million Dollar Picks on FanDuel. So um, really looking forward to that. Peter Schrager will be here on Thursday. Not sure. Might just be me and Schrager's. We might might just roll with the uh, with the big guns and we're going to break down the week one slate, talk about our favorite bets. He's going to give us last-minute scoops, last-minute sleeper buzz, a whole bunch of things. So I will see you on Thursday. Very excited. Getting very close. Very, very close to football. See you on Thursday. <laughs>